Hi there, Rob Verkirk here. Are you confused by what's going on in the world? If you are, you're not alone. There's a huge amount of uncertainty. For example, are we as a global society emerging from this coronavirus crisis or is this just the calm before the storm? Are we going to be released from our house arrest from this incredible situation which civil liberties have been lost to such a great extent and businesses have collapsed and people's lives have been turned upside down or are we just passive recipients of a system that's essentially over the last 12 months moved towards global governance are the vaccines or gene therapy treatments however you want to see them are they some kind of miraculous one size fits all solution as some are suggesting or as others are suggesting, such as Geert van den Bosch, the vaccinologist that first raised the alarm, is the process of mass vaccination generating variants of concern that are going to escape the immune system and we will be chasing our tail and getting into an increasingly difficult situation which we could actually generate variants that really create a much bigger catastrophe than the one that we've already seen. At the same time, are we right or wrong in trying to prevent other solutions, particularly natural solutions. And I think many of you know where our own feelings on all of this lie. But in terms of understanding this this background, we've got to recognize that we are living in this incredibly censored world in which it's very difficult to get hold of balanced information. Balanced journalism is a thing of the past now. The mainstream media has become essentially a propaganda machine. Um, even our own uh, second interview of Geert van der Bosch that we released last week um, was out for a very short period of time, had 6,000 views and was... Uh, removed from YouTube. We've also been banned from uploading any content for two weeks. Um, Robert Malone, the inventor of mRNA, the history books have re been rewritten. He's been removed from the Wikipedia entry, and it's now the institute that he worked in as a young graduate student when he invented, um, co-invented the technology that's now um, turned into the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines. Um, he has been removed from that entry. Um, the Nobel Prize winner uh, involved in the development of, of uh, ivermectin has also had his social media accounts removed because he was supporting the use of ivermectin. So these are very, very strange times. Um, what we're going to be doing here is looking a little bit closer at some of the data from the UK. The UK is a good place to look at data on one level, because the amount of gene sequencing that's going on is probably greater than anywhere else in the world. At another level, it's also because there's been a huge amount of vaccination, has the third equal highest take-up with Israel and Canada. So the pressure from vaccination is very, very high. Um, so let's have a look at that. We also need to understand that we need to segregate between prevention and treatment. These two ideas are often conflated. And of course, vaccines are often seen to do both, prevention and treatment. But of course, when you look at vaccines, you can um, look at the degree to which they reduce transmission. You can also see how they reduce cases or hospitalizations or deaths. So there's many ways of looking at them. 
and and certainly the evidence is pretty limited on transmission and what is there suggests that they don't do nearly as good a job reducing transmission as they do in reducing hospitalizations and deaths and the situation is changing rapidly because of the emergence of variants of concern. So let's start by looking at um, Public Health England's most recent COVID-19 vaccine surveillance report from week 26. This makes um, interesting reading in the sense that it's looking pretty tickety-boo for vaccines. Uh, It seems that they could do no wrong. Yes, it shows that um, most of the cases in the UK are now the uh, Delta variant, the what used to be called the Indian variant. Um, and um, b- But it's specifically saying in terms of hospitalizations and deaths, there is no real difference um, between the, the Delta and the Alpha variant, in, in essence, saying that the Delta variant um, that everyone was originally concerned about is not any more dangerous. Um, when you look at uh, antibodies, and of course, understanding what the antibodies are doing in terms of the degree of neutralization, which is the primary mechanism in which the vaccines are working, is, is pretty significant. What, what, what the results are showing is that actually most of the work now, in terms of the um, relatively limited testing they've been doing on antibodies, but still um, supposedly random, um, suggests that most of the work is being done by vaccines not by natural infection so depending on the age groups um, uh, as you get to older and older groups um, you're seeing almost a hundred percent seroprevalence so antibody responses nearly all of it um, 80 percent plus coming from vaccines only 10 to 20 percent or so um, coming from naturally acquired infection. And they do this basically by measuring antibodies from the spike protein, which me- measures antibodies produced both as a result of the vaccine and natural infection versus antibodies produced from the nuclear protein, which is from the virus body itself. It can only come from naturally acquired infection. So um, bottom line is when you have such high vaccine coverage, you, you'd expect, if this was the case, that there would be herd immunity happening and it might be game over. And clearly that is some of the thinking behind the UK government's decision to open the country up more. Okay, we're now going to look at a second Public Health England report, this one specifically on SARS-CoV-2 two variants of concern and variants under investigation in England. This is technical briefing number 17, published on the 25th of June, 2021. What it's basically saying is that um, the about 95% of sequence cases between 7th and the 21st of June were the Delta variant, the old Indian variant. Um, But it is beginning to indicate that um, other Variants are emerging. AY1, which is the Delta plus the K417N variant, which is a potential immune escape variant, is emerging. There's also the emergence of the Lambda variant. So this is a pattern that's beginning to be seen, which would um, suggest some of the concerns of Geert van der Bosch may um, be quite real. 
Um, if we're looking at hospitalizations and deaths, it, there's also an interesting pattern emerging at the moment. Of course, bear in mind, as the variants change, these patterns can also change very rapidly. Um, but essentially, over the, since, since over the last uh, month or so, um, 90% of the cases um, have been in the under 50s. Um, uh, in fact, that goes back as far as the f 1st of February. Um, and as a result of so many being in, in that group, including um, younger people who are not necessarily 100% um, healthy with high levels of vit vitality and resilience, um, the hospitalization rate has been about double in the under 50s compared with the 50 and over. But when we look at deaths, we see completely the reverse pattern. There are only 117 recorded deaths in total, and only eight of these have been in the under 50s. So when you look at the risk of death, um, you're actually 14 times more likely to die um, being 50 or older compared with under 50s. So again, no great indications that, that young people are at great risk of death, but there is certainly a suggestion that hospitalizations could present a problem. That brings us back to some of the original ideas. Were we trying to flatten the curve? It seems since um, the early stages of this um, crisis, um, the narrative has changed on that issue um, very greatly. Now we have variants of concern adding an entirely new dimension to the problem as well. Well, now let's have a look at what a certain group of scientists, these are the actual scientists who are doing the gene sequencing in the UK from COG UK, that's the COVID-19 um, Genomics UK Consortium. And in a paper that they've just published in Nature Review Microbiology, which is a pretty high-impact journal, they are definitely sounding a warning of the things that they believe are to come um, and painting a very different picture from what we've just been hearing about in the PHE Public Health England reports. Um, they stress that for the first 11 months we saw very little in terms of virus evolution and that it all started to change late in 2020 and early 2021, um, particularly in association with the mass vaccination. They are suggesting the changes are the result in the changing immune profile of the human population, which is primarily a result of vaccination, as we've just seen, and not from um, wild infection. The most troubling part of it really is, is down to what they're seeing with um, antibody neutralization. This is what Geer van der Bosch is saying, this partial neutralization creates this opportunity for immune escape and the generation of, of mutants of increasing concerns, some of which could present much greater harms th than others. And it's specifically the um, particular targeting of multiple mutations in the receptor binding domain of the spike protein that creates the biggest problems. And so what they're seeing is um, seven to nine-fold um, reductions in um, neutralization by antibodies where you have um, viruses with multiple mutations or in experiments with pseudoviruses that are specifically engineered to have double or triple mutations. And that really does point to a significant probability increased chance 
of Immunoscape. Um, so the paper as a whole really is painting a picture of an emerging problem. So we can't really look at past performance very much to see what's going to be happening in the future, hence the need for the crystal ball. And this is happening in the UK just as the country is beginning to open up. So really important in our view to not be putting all of your eggs in one basket. It's a really dangerous thing to just be relying on one strategy in the form of vaccines, given what we're seeing is happening alongside all of it. Um, and to have no backup plan, to see um, alternatives such as the possibility of ivermectin alongside high-dose nutrients being considered to be um, medical misinformation at this stage is downright negligent in the face of, of, of what might be happening uh, moving forward. So with this amount of uncertainty around, it's really important that we uh, reach out for our crystal balls and have a look into them. And of course, we see this array of possibilities, but out of the mist there, there are some things that can become clearer. One of them is that we really start to take personal responsibility. Um, there is no option but to do that. We cannot rely on, on governments or medical authorities telling us what to do. The one thing we, we do know that regardless of what we do, if we focus on building our resilience, building our vitality, we always do better. We also are able to uh, handle any variants of concern um, rather than having to rely on a very, very specific um, immunity created by um, synthetic vaccines. Another really important thing for us to do is to not be paralyzed by fear. This is a, a construct specifically designed to control the population. Um, there are, have been many whistleblowers along the way who've been part of it said there is something just not right about this. And of course, there are a whole bunch of people now as we try and see countries being released from um, lockdowns and these very restrictive measures who still are completely and utterly um, held paralyzed by this fear. And when, we, when we're in this place of fear, it makes it very difficult for us to engage the rational thinking, reasoning part of our brain. We revert to our midbrain, the, the brain that, that, that uh, our primate relatives have, but we have this extended frontal lobe that allows us to engage in deep reasoning. For many people, this isn't happening, but we have to be tolerant of the fact that people in different places. And the third thing, of course, we have to do is, is really build up our toolbox. And really important part of this toolbox is ivermectin. It is, stands out from the crowd as um, a particular repurposed drug that originates from nature that works across many different parts of the, the, the system. It, it, it binds the spike protein, so it can help in long COVID. It can help for prophylaxis as well as um, treatment. And it's particularly effective in early treatment that we can see from the um, most recent meta-analysis. Um, but it also works, like many natural products, um, not just as an antiviral, it also um, helps as an anti-inflammatory because it really is that secondary stage after um, exposure to, to the virus that 
where all the damage is done as the body moves into this massively upregulated immune inflammatory phase. That's where the damage is done. And that's also where a range of natural products can really help. So many of the natural anti-inflammatories um, like curcumin, like quercetin, can be very valuable this phase. So we need to stock up on this. We need to take our high-dose um, vitamin D and, and vitamin C as well, make sure that our zinc um, status is, is is adequate when taking our zinc um, away from phytates and cereals because that's how, how they're blocked. You can have a look at our um, uh, zinc campaign, our vitamin C campaign, our vitamin D campaign. But there are now 18 countries around the world that have decided we're going to get on board with ivermectin. It's going to be really interesting to see um, how this data pans out. We're seeing the World Health Organization already making noises about the fact that um, people should be very careful about repurposing um, ivermectin for COVID because there may not be enough ivermectin to go around um, and uh, they need to be thinking about um, NTDs, ne neglected tropical diseases like um, malaria, for example, um, river blindness, um, that, that uh, ivermectin is a very effective treatment for. No talk of the fact that ivermectin supplies could be ramped up very easily tomorrow if the demand was there. So this pressure is going to come from the populace, from the grassroots. We've got to keep working with it. We've got to look at the data as it's emerging. At the moment, there is nothing that touches ivermectin as an additional part of our toolkit to deal with this part of the crisis. And if things get difficult or get worse because of variants of concern, ivermectin is the key. So um, we're working very hard with others to look at ways of people being able to get easier access for ivermectin. Stay posted on that point, um, and we'll talk to you again very soon. Thank you. Thank you.